As you turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5, as we continue the study we had to leave off, I did not quite finish uh, as we looked at uh, what it means to have this idea of marriage. Ephesians 5, this is in the context of a church, the body of Christ. Uh, Ephesians 1, 2, 3 talks about how Jesus has made us one, the unity of Christ. In chapter 4, if that is the case, then the most important thing, the very first thing he has us do is to understand how to maintain an eagerness, endeavoring to keep the unity of Christ. It is a labor that is to be done among us. Goes on and into chapter 5 talking about Holiness and what holiness looks like in a church of being like Christ. And then in chapter 5, verse 18, it has this instruction of being filled with the Spirit of Christ. And those who are filled with the Spirit of Christ have certain characteristics, certain actions, so that we may know what that looks like. And one of them is singing. Singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs in our hearts to God, but to one another. The second characteristic is a radical gratitude to have thanksgiving. That in every circumstance we have an opportunity to trust God. And then third characteristic is a submission to one another. To have a, a spirit whereby we want to lift up the other. And not to be in defiance to one another. Uh, and then in uh, chapter 5 as we go to verse 22 on down, it starts to narrow down a little bit about what that looks like. The specific roles of submission to one another and, and the wives to the husbands and the children uh, to the parents and uh, employees or in this case slaves to uh, masters and, and how that comes together. And so uh, we're on the part dealing with husbands, uh, specifically verse 25 uh, through 33. I uh, had a friend of mine, I was talking to him, he is uh, Indian, and uh, I was talking to him and he was relating to me how he and his brother got married. And they got married because their brothers, with their parents, but primarily the brothers, arranged the marriage. The brothers picked out the wife that they would marry. Can you just imagine that? Just think about that for a second. What would your life look like if your sibling picked out your spouse? And so I was just, I was fascinating uh, with, with this conversation. Like, tell me about this. What, what is that like, you know? And he made this statement. He said, you know, in America, uh, you marry for love. But in India, we marry to love. And I thought, wow, that's something I've never forgotten. And I thought, that's so true how in America, we, it is so much about the feeling and the emotion of it, how this person makes you feel. Uh, but there is an aspect of this, and those of you who have been married for a long time understand that there is an aspect of marrying to love, that there is an action, a commitment that you do. And so this is what we want to talk about, as, especially in husbands, and what this looks like in an earthly model. And so we're going to read this together and, and look at some actions 
for husbands that are spirit-filled in how they treat their wives. And so we're going to honor the Word of God by standing as we read this together, uh, beginning with verse 18, then verse through verse 33. Do not get drunk with wine. For that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. You may be seated. As we study this, we know that verse 21 governs the entirety of this, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So the power to do this comes in verse 21 out of reverence to Christ, out of worship to the Lord. And this is good. Because what often happens in a marriage is that we go down a negative cycle. One person treats another person in in a less than desirable fashion. And so the person nurses that, uh, the object of that negative action, nurses that. And now shapes their thinking toward the other person. Now does a negative action or word toward them. And the cycle goes on. It can go on perpetually until the marriage splits up. Or they live in a cold marriage for the rest of their life. We need someone to come in to break the negative cycle. And so right here we see that Christ is the way this happens. Verse 21, that is done out of reverence for Christ. And so how we treat one another is shaped by our worship of the Lord. Our marriage relationship is a reflection of worship to Jesus Christ. And so we get that in verse 21, out of reverence for Christ. You see it reiterated in verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And now we go down to verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Last time we looked at how Christ loved the church, gave himself up for. And so we saw the heavenly reality of marriage, that there is a manner of love as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So it's a sacrificial love. Verse 26, we see the purpose of, of the love and the sacrifice, that we might be sanctified and cleansed. Cleansed, that God has an image of this church and all churches that is uh, cleansed and right with Him. Our conduct matters. He has declared us right, but God is working through the church to help us 
behave and act and react in a way that is pleasing to the Lord. What we do and say in regards to Christ, in regards to one another, impacts our worship. And so, what is the method of cleansing? You see this and again in 26, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word of God. And we see how Jesus referred to this as well in John 15, saying the word of God cleanses the vine and the branches so they can bear more fruit. So the, the role of God's word, as we come in week in, week out, and read the word of God together, share the word of God, God is using it to cleanse us. And so this, is, uh, this is, has nothing to do with me as I present this and share the word of God, that there is power in the word. And that is the authority of this time is God's word. I... <laughs> And it's helpful for you to know that. I'm not going to speak out of a role of a husband that's got it together. In the same way that I did not speak in the role of a wife that's got it together. All right? Uh, My experience is not the authority. It is the Word of God that is the authority. And so the Word of God speaks into my heart, and I'm with you. I'm sitting under the Word of God with you, even as I explain this, husbands, and, and so I'm working on this with you, uh, but is the word of God that Jesus uses us, uses it to cleanse us. But what is the dream? What is the dream of God for his church? You see this in verse 27. Why the washing of the water with the word? Why the sanctifying? Verse 27, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Christ is the one presenting the church, and he's the one having the church presented too. So he is like the father of the bride as well as the groom himself in our our understanding of a wedding ceremony. But he has this vision of this church and his church being radiant, without splendor or without a spot, a wrinkle, or any such thing. And that is the vision. In fact, one of the things I looked at was how in, even in the Lord's Supper, when Jesus was instituted the Lord's Supper, he said, I have come upon this time with great eagerness. I long to do this with you because it was as Jesus was saying, I am asking you to marry me. He is proposing to us in the Lord's Supper. In this is the new covenant. And then he made good that marriage proposal on the cross and in the resurrection. But Jesus in the Last Supper said, I'm eager to do this with you, for I will not do this again with you until I'm in the kingdom of heaven with you. Jesus has a body. He, is a human, he has human flesh. He's taken upon him. And as such, there is a holy anticipation and eagerness for his church to be with him. And I love how, how God uses marriages, things what we can understand, not just black and white, but things in flesh and blood that we can understand to, to get God's sense. So just as a groom is eager for the wedding day, so too Jesus is longing for his church to be with him. And then we keep on reading. We're going to see in verse 28, now we're going to take a, a turn into the earthly model. In the same way, husbands should love their wives. Just as Jesus has modeled this, in the same way. So here's the first uh, quality of this earthly model of marriage. And that is simply that husbands are to have a sacrificial love for their wives. 
they are called into the role of Christ here. Just as the wife is called into the role of Christ in submission, now the husband, the man, is to call into the role of Christ in way of sacrifice in, her, in his love to her. I used the illustration last, last week as the um, um, Princess Bride movie. Uh, to say that the woman soon recognized the man's love by his constant refrain of, as you wish. That though even she was separated for many years, she recognized uh, who her love was because it was the one that always responded with, as you wish. So too, Jesus is the one that's sacrificing for us. And so husbands, if we're going to let this role play out, if we're going to let the Spirit of God work in our life, The Holy Spirit will lead us down sacrificial roads for our wives. Now, uh, this gets extremely uh, practical, doesn't it? We are coming upon football season. (laughs) Preseason games are here. The last golf tournament majors is going on today. Uh, Racing season seems like it's forever. Um, so there's nothing like Saturday or Sunday, whenever the games are, and you want to watch that game. But your wife comes up to you and says, honey, I have a plan for you today. (laughs) So what does sacrificial love look like at that point? It does look very specific, very practical to say, as you wish. All right. Now, here's the thing. The vision that's got to go on in our head is, again, the heavenly model. The heavenly model. Uh, marriage, the Christian marriage, is one with windows open to eternity. Have you ever slept in a room without a window? There's a, a place I'd go to. Uh, my, my in-laws would have this timeshare, and they would uh, let me stay in this little spot. Um, and it was a room without a window whatsoever and you wake up and you have no time no idea what time it is I mean it could be 12 o'clock in the middle of the day but you feel like it's four in the morning because it's absolutely dark there is no way of orienting you to what's going on in reality listen what the marriage is for a Christian marriage is that we have a window open to eternal things that we see Jesus Christ and we're looking to eternal uh, roles and it plays into, shines light into how we live our life. Husbands, how we relate to one another. Now, if we have no windows open to eternity, then the football game looms large, does it not? Uh, our agenda, our plan for the day looms large, but if we have a window open to eternity to see the role of Christ and, and who He is and the Holy Spirit interceding, then it illuminates what those actions are and how we treat the wife. We keep on reading in the same way husbands shall love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. So not only is it to be a sacrificial love, but there's also to be a unifying love. A unifying love to say that we are together as one. So I remember when uh, I was getting ready to get married. 
and I was uh, talking to my parents about it, and, and this is a little bit before the whole engagement, and my, my parents were watching me interacting with Julie. And so mom and dad had a moment to say, son, look, we've just observed that when you're with her, you just kind of go on and do your own thing. You know, you just kind of leave her wherever, and you just go and do whatever. Now, you need to understand that if you're going to get married, you've got to be one with her. You can't just do whatever you want to do. There is a sense of relating and uh, staying behind or do whatever it is to, to do it with that person. And so to understand that unifying love is to say that we are together in this, that we are working together, and that when I see you, I see myself, that as they are to love as their own bodies. In fact, it goes on and, and explains some of the more mystical aspect in verse 31. Uh, you go to verse 31, and he, he refers all the way back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So, Understand that God, when He sees you, He just doesn't see you. He sees you together in partnership, working together. So what happens to your wife happens to you, and vice versa. And so what does that mean? There is to be a friendship. For some of you who are not yet married and you're thinking about this, look for a friend a lot of times our, our strategy is to look at, see which one is the physical attractive and which one's not. So we have a room of 20. We'll rule out 17 that we don't see as physical attractive. And we try to narrow it down to three. Not realizing that maybe one of those 17 could be a great friend. To understand that there is an aspect of common interest that we're looking together on. The friendship that is required in this for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it. So not only is it a unifying love, it's a nourishing love. A nourishing love. I remember when I was in studying and communication, uh, we were, uh, part of it was interpersonal communication, just looking at some, some statistics and things like that. And one of the things that they shared, and I never just forgot, it just kind of sat in my heart and mind, was that women's self-esteem is usually higher before they get married, unless after they get married. I thought, what, what a devastating statistic. Why is that? Well, when you're not married, the girls see, are seen as potential. And there's all kinds of guys that are trying to uh, encourage her, try to talk sweet to her. Look at opportunities that maybe, maybe I can be with her. And then after you get married, there's no one doing that because you're off the market. And you realize that the self-esteem and the, the idea of the self-image of that, of that lady is driven by a man. And one man. What does this mean to have a nourishing love? You need to realize that your entire life is usually your entire self-image is usually a compiling of verdicts that have been passed on to you that people have said about you. You get realize your self-image is usually just a compiled cumulative verdicts of what people have said about you. 
But here's the thing, when you get married, one person has the power to turn a lifetime of accumulated verdicts by people who didn't care. That's why, husbands, we can't speak to our wives the same way we talk to our buddies. Have you realized that yet? You have a role. You can't talk to her like you do your coworkers, you, and you definitely can't talk to her like you do your brothers and your sisters. That doesn't work because God has given you an, a role into her life to speak with power. You could have a bunch of people tell you you're no good, but if you have your husband or your wife say, I love you, I respect you. There is a beauty within you that attracts me. It can nullify the hundreds that are naysayers. And and that's why it's so important for a husband to understand that how you speak to her matters. And and we think that we've got BB guns when we really have high-powered guns. And the words we say can make and break. And so let our words be nursing to that one. And so... It says, nurses and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Now, how important is this? Remember, this is a window to, to heaven. 1 Peter 3, 7 says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as to the weaker vessel, since there are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers be not hindered. Do you get that last bit? So that your prayers may not be hindered. In other words, God is watching. And he knows that you have an assigned role. That it's not just whether or not you're a good husband. It's that you are representative of Christ. And so when we are hurting our wives, then we are no longer listening to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is drawing us to nourish and cherish our own. And so we've been disobedient to Him, and then we've made marred the image, the role of Christ in the world around us. And so fundamentally, our relationship with God is right, is, is messed up. So much so that our prayers are hindered if we are not taking this seriously and loving that one. Now, there's two roles to this. When we, when we treat our own body, there's a cleansing and there's a nourishing. There's a negative and there's a positive. So we see Jesus do that, right? He is, he is cleansing us and there is a nourishing and encouraging aspect of this. So the cleansing is an extremely intimate thing, isn't it? Why? Because, well, it allows the person to see the dirt, Allows the person to see the flaws and, and just their role in your life. Where once you could have acted like a moody person and, and no one could have known because you live by yourself. But now someone's there with you and you see that your moodiness impacts that person. Or your anger issue is now impacting that person. And so the, the flaw is exposed. It is an intimate thing. And you want people to treat you sensitively, right? I... So when I go to the dentist, you know, they always floss your teeth, right? They do that to you. They do that to me. And uh, 
I've got these teeth that are in the back. They're just like really tight. And I don't really enjoy anyone else flossing my teeth. You know, there's, there's some things you feel like, you know, I can do that by myself. I don't, I don't need assistance and brush my teeth, cut my fingernails. All this, I, you know, this is an intimate thing. But when the, when the person comes in uh, and they're getting in those back teeth, my head is going back and forth. Just like, you know, calm down, you know. You don't understand the sensitivity of this. And, and that's why it's an intimate thing. And so when we talk about a husband and wife, that there's a cleansing aspect of it. There's a negative. There's an exposure of the faults. It is to be done with sensitivity. Realizing the pain that it can be caused. But because you're husband and wife, you are called together and exposing and bringing together to the attention of that person. This isn't Christ-like. But then there's a nursing aspect. There's a, a positive. There's a, an encouraging. There's speaking into someone's life. There is the serving aspect to say, I want to see something. Now, here's the, here's the amazing thing. When we are married to someone, and any, any human, they are a soul that lives forever. And when I'm married to someone, I see this person not just as they are, but as they one day will be. That together, we have our horizon set for the throne room of God. You get that? When you marry someone... You are joining in together with them to see the horizon being God's throne room. So when I look at someone, and I look at my wife, and she looks at me, she sees the nose hair, all right, the ear hair, the growing wrinkles, the stubbornness. She sees the selfishness. But by God's grace, she can also see something else of who will one day be before God. When you look at that person, you don't just see the bad things. See that person as God wants them to be. And every once in a while, God will give you a little glimpse, give you a little bit of a shadow of, of things to come. And it nurses you, encourages you. And so you want to encourage that. So as a husband, we talked about what this idea of submission and leadership. Uh, one of the ideas of, of a husband and leadership is to say that you're the one that says, let us, let us, let us. And the, and the wife is the one that allows it to happen, perhaps gives the reasons, uh, but certainly helps in that endeavor and what you guys do together. But also... As we talk about, that means that husbands, if there is a climate in your marriage that you see as poisoning, then the first one you address is yourself. I remember thinking one time and, and just praying and reading through, and, and, and I was just saying, you know, there's, there was just something that was going on in the relationship that I wasn't pleased with and I and I was praying about it and I said and you know first you go down the road of okay Lord just change her you know just help her be different in that and, and you start praying that way and you think you're doing good you know it sounds spiritual 
right? Pray for them to change. But then I, I was thinking about Proverbs, and you know, there's this proverb that's repeated like three or four times. Um, and yeah, it, something to the, the fact, in, in different, phrased differently, but it's better to live in the corner of a housetop than to be with a nagging wife or contentious wife. And I was thinking through that, and uh, all, all up till this time, I thought, well, you know, that, that's on her, that's on her. And then it hit me. Why is she nagging? Why, why is the woman this way? That perhaps the intention uh, is not to be placed on her, that if I'm to be a leader in this, that I need to take the attention of the Word of God, not put it on her, but put it on me, and to ask, okay, if I want to see a different climate here, certainly there is a prayer, but the prayer first begins, God change me, help me to be a difference in how I love her. Perhaps in what I'm doing or what I'm not doing, that God will give attention in the nourishing aspect or in the cleansing aspect of things. To say, Lord, change me. So husbands, if we are to take this in a serious way, to say, let me be that husband that is nourishing. To say, God, change me and use me in how you're changing me. And allow God to do that work in them. But let me ask you this question. This gets extremely practical in just a little bit. If, we're, if it's a nourishing love, it's a unifying love, it's a sacrificial love, it will be measured by our calendar. It will be measured by the activities that we do. How are we spiritually building up a person, emotionally, physically nourishing them? There should be something that we can see on our calendar that we're doing in that. There's something in the routines that we're making that happen. I love how Christ, the example is always Christ. One of the ways you recognize the Spirit of Christ is that what He does in a church is nourishing the church. Is cleansing the church. The Spirit of Christ is not working in a church in ways that's hurting the body. It becomes very evident as we look at this and see. But what has He declared us? He has declared us righteous. You're talking about God as a husband speaking into us. He said, You are my beloved. I've been thinking about that with Peter. I wrote about that a little bit this past week of, of Peter when he just looks to Peter and as he's getting ready to die on the cross and says to Peter, Peter, Satan's after, after you. He's asking to sift you like wheat. But I've been praying for you. I've been praying for you that when your faith is restored, that you turn and you help your brothers. And I thought about how Jesus knew that and when the cock crew uh, crowed three times and that there's this incident where Jesus and Peter looked at one another and in that moment Peter ran away in dismay and disgust himself but what was Jesus thinking sure there's disappointment there was hurt but Jesus had a resolve this is why I came to die for Peter and for Jared and for others even Judas, Judas, 
after betraying Jesus, comes to Jesus in the garden to reveal. And in coming to the garden, it says that he betrayed him with a kiss. The word, the phrasing is kiss muchly. It wasn't just a little tap. It was an extravagant show. And Jesus says to Judas, friend, friend, you demonstrate betrayal with the Chris. But just to think, Jesus still calls Judas friend. The role of Jesus and how he treats the church to say, I will sacrifice, I will love, I will extend out to you, regardless of who you are and what you've done. I want to buy you. I want to purchase you. I want to nourish you. I will declare you right. And I do so at great sacrifice to myself. And so every marriage where Christ is the center has the throne room of God in the horizon. Say, say, wife, let's go there together. Let me help you be who God wants you to be. And the, and the wife says to the husband, husband, I want you to go there before the throne room of God and let me help you be all that God's called you to be. And I want to see that as the vision. And that drives the communication Sometimes that communication will be, dear spouse, do you realize that when you did this or said this, that it came across this way? In other words, there will be a cleansing aspect of it. Why? Because there's a vision that's driving you both toward heaven, toward the likeness of Christ. But there will also be saying, dear spouse, I'm praying for you. Let me help you. Let me help you become who God has called us to be. And that is how God is working through relationships, drawing us to himself. This is the purpose of marriage. It's not just a social obligation. It's not just for personal fulfillment it's not just so that we are in contract together to pass on a line it's not just so, uh, whether our passion is compatible it's not just so that we can practice romance for a little while it's not to fulfill me emotionally or socially the purpose of marriage is to serve your spouse with a vision for future glory and eternity. Get that. Get that. A vision for eternity. And that drives the marriage together. Jesus has a vision for our church. He has a vision for church. And he is sacrificing. And he is unifying. And he is nourishing us. Husbands, we are at our best when we just say, wife, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. And may my actions show that in some form, some fashion. Let's pray.